0: Hello and welcome to the official SASTA podcast. Yes, after nearly 20 million views and 150,000 upvotes, the godfather of SAS, Jason Lemkin, has decided to expand SASTA to the world of podcasts. And it's with great honour that he's chosen me, Harry Stebbings of the 20 Minute VC, to host the official SASTA podcast. Now, this show will be the one-stop shop for all things audio SAS. And we will be revealing the behind-the-scenes stories of the latest and greatest. SaaS startups and growing unicorns from the founders themselves, we'll be speaking to the incredible operators behind these rocket ship companies, including the VPs of sales, CMOs, head of products, and of course, we will also be speaking to the investors and VCs funding these startups. Now, starting as we mean to go on, we have an immensely special show for you to celebrate the release of the Sasta podcast and episode one. Therefore, joining me today, I'm so thrilled to welcome Tiago Piva, founder and CEO at TalkDesk, the leading cloud-based call center software solution and one of the hottest rising stars in the world of SaaS. TalkDesk is an amazing success story. In the first year and a half, they didn't spend a dollar on marketing and achieved over 3 million in sales with only five employees in Portugal, one CEO in San Diego and no salespeople to speak of. Between its seed round in August 2014 and January 2015, it grew over three times in revenue and five times in headcount, culminating in its most recent round, which will allow for TalkDesk global domination. And in this interview with Tiago, he reveals how they achieved such success in early days, what tactics and strategies worked well for him and TalkDesk, what was the most challenging elements of the journey for him, and what the future holds for TalkDesk following them Mega Rays. Ladies and gents, it's with great pleasure to welcome Tiago Paiva, founder and CEO at TalkDesk. Good. That's perfect. Okay. I think we're warmed up. Tiago, a very warm welcome to the first ever SASTA podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Now, I'd love to kick off the first show and the very special show by hearing your origin story of TalkDesk. What was the aha moment for you?
1: Absolutely. So, uh, Talkdesk started four years ago, and um, I was 24 at a time. At the time, we were we were in Portugal, so I was just out of my master's degree in computer science. And since I was uh, since I remember 15, 16 years old, I always wanted to start a startup. So, when I finished uh, the degree, I decided to not go get a normal job like everyone in Portugal usually do, and decided to start a company. However, in the first year it was it was pretty rough we had no idea what we were doing we built a few a few applications here and there but none really went anywhere and one year into into it twilio launched the competition to whoever uses the the twilio client that was something that they launched in 2011 the winner of the competition will win a macbook air and that's that's pretty much what we did we we built we built talkdesk in in two weeks uh, it was very i'd say an hackathon. Mm-hmm. Uh it was just a very proof very basic proof of concept that all it did was you can sign up on a on a web page you can choose the phone number from a few countries. And then that number, every time someone calls in that number, we can tell you, okay, ARI is calling, here's all the information about ARI. And then you have all the information about the person calling in the browser. And that's, that's how TalkDesk started. That was the idea, just a proof of concept. And we realized very early on that there were really companies interested in, in using TalkDesk and pay for it.
0: And then what were the early days like following that? So that was the kind of MVP. How did you then progress from there? Did you win the, did you win the competition?
1: <laughs> we did win the competition. Good. And, <laughs> Glad to <hear> that one. <laughs> and we were, we were invited to, um, to come to the U.S. And that was my first time in the U.S. And on October 2011, we flew, I flew to, um, to San Francisco, presented a talk desk at the Twilio conference, the first Twilio conference ever. And we were very lucky that a few investors were in the, in the audience and they liked talk desk. One of them was uh, Paul Singh from 500 Startups mm-hmm. and he offered us uh, spot at the next 500 startups batch on, on the spot, and I just moved into the US. So that week that I came for a conference, I just moved in and I've been living here since since that day. Mm-hmm.
0: And you said before that, we're going, talking about the first year now, you've said before that for the first year to year and a half, you didn't spend a dollar on marketing, mm-hmm. but you achieved three million in sales. Mm-hmm. So, so walk me through that. How, how did that work and, and what kind of strategies did you use to have such success in the field?
1: So it's the, the story, the story of TalkDesk is a little different than most companies. And what, what we did is in the first two and a half years of the company, uh, meaning from beginning 2012 to mid 2013, to 14, uh, in beginning 2014, we were, we were six people in the company. We were very, very small and nimble. Uh, we had, we had a product that was finally starting to work and uh, we were So we were five or six engineers. Uh, they were, they were in Portugal and I was the only person here in the US and we had to figure out how to sell. And what I did was we, we partnered with a few companies. We were very like in the beginning to partner with Salesforce, with Zendesk and a few other companies. And they started sending us a few leads in the beginning. And then from those leads, we just got a huge word of mouth cycle going on. And we were able to get 500 customers in the first year and a half of selling and get to two, three million dollars without pretty much any marketing. So, um, it was literally like just investing in the product and building a great product. And people just kept talking about it and we kept selling.
0: And then slightly unpacking that, going pre-sales, how did you figure out the pricing model at such mm-hmm. an early stage when, you know, as you said, a year out of university, you hadn't done any SaaS startups or, or significant startup experience before? So how did you figure out a pricing model in the early days? So we were,
1: that's one of the advantages of being in a business that's on in an industry that's been around for, for many, many years. We, we pretty much understood what other companies were charging for it and we tried to price accordingly. So we didn't nail it the first time. We, we, we changed prices a few times until finally the customers were able to say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to pay this amount of money. And when, when we nailed the pricing and the product, that's when, when actually you start selling and sales keep Starts start, start ramping up. And that's, that's what happened to us. It took, took a while to get there, to get to a point where we had a product that, was, that customers were willing to pay and the pricing point that was interesting to them. And um, once you nail those two things, then you can, you can invest more in sales.
0: And you said about the lean team there and all of you learning sales. How did that learning attitude to sales go? How did it alter over time? And at what stage did you hire the VP of sales for the first time?
1: We were six people, the small team, up until we were 500 customers. And in the beginning of 2000, let me get the dates right. Beginning of 2014, we, I emailed, I emailed Jason Lamkin with, um, with an email saying, Hey, Jason, here's a company com- coming from Portugal. Here's how much money we are making. Here, how small we are. Um, are you interested in talking? And he replied immediately, yes, let's talk. I went to, to his office in, in Sandhill Roads. And we he made us an offer on the spot, and we raised money from Jason. And at that point, we had enough money that we could actually open an office in San Francisco. Um, in this case, it was in Mountain View, and we were able to hire the VP of sales.
0: And what did you look for then in that VP of sales? You'd never hired one before. Uh, you'd never hired a sales team before. So what was the defining characteristics that made you hire that VP of sales?
1: All of us, or I imagine everyone listening to this podcast, we... I was reading Jason's blog posts, and so I kind of was being guided by what Jason was writing. And I was looking for someone that was at the, that worked at a similar stage. So we were making one two million dollars a year. I wanted someone that had taken a company from one million to ten million, mm-hmm. and someone that could hire a team. And those were pretty much the two things that I was looking for: someone that has done it before, and someone that could recruit a team and could. Uh, grow our sales team from no people to ten, fifteen people in the next three, four, five months.
0: Mm-hmm. And and you mentioned that uh, partnerships, you know, with Zendesk. Uh, how efficient were the partnerships for you, and um, um, how did they come about? How did you form them as a, as a small startup yourself in the early days with such huge corporations?
1: Mm-hmm. We we didn't have anything officially official so um they were sending customers as in for example someone goes to zendesk or or desk.com and they say i'm interested in using a solution for voice and because the sales guys knew about talkdesk they would usually recommend talkdesk mm-hmm. and it was a lot of um going to their offices uh, I used to, I used to, to know every sales guy on the desk team. So it was a lot about relationships, not, we didn't have anything official. So it was a lot about relationships and a lot of time spent showing talk desk and demo talk desk sometimes at 5, 6, 7 a.m. in the morning. And after that, you actually gain trust, um, and they will send you the leads and you will help them close their, their deals as well.
0: And talking of partnerships enabling growth and new customers, as we just mentioned there, when you look back at the TalkDesk journey, are there any moments that stick out as being kind of pivotal inflection points where TalkDesk has really ramped up and increased?
1: That that's that's a good question. When if if I look back, I think what started this trajectory of of growing every
0: single month since
1: since that time was actually when we this this um his name was Rand and he was working for desk.com, he realized that talk desk could help their sales team sell more by, by using desk and talk desk you pretty much are more, let's say, addicted to the product. When they realized that and they he shared he shared talk desk with all of his um, with all of his sales guys, that's when things really started to change because then you get two, three leads from the, their sales team and then those two, three leads, if you do a good job, they will recommend two, three more customers and that's just a cycle that that starts and it's, it still continues now. We still have a lot of leads coming from those first initial referrals and the, those first sales guys that I met two, three years ago. So that's where things really started to change.
0: And in terms of scaling the business up, where's been the most challenging What's, what has been the most challenging aspect to scale? Have there been any barriers or blocks? What's been the challenging elements?
1: The challenge we have and we've been having since the beginning is how do we grow at these speeds where the challenges change? Because every six months, the company is, is changing. We, we realize that every six months, we are selling to different type of customers. For example, we started with very small customers, one, two, three, four, five-person company, and now we sell to 500, 5,000 10,000 person company. So we sell from the smallest uh, company you can find to a very, very large corporation. So by, by changing that in terms of selling, you need to pretty much change the entire company. You need to change how you support them. You need to change how you sell. You need to change your pricing. You need to change, you need to change pretty much everything because as you go more up markets, Everything you need to support those new customers is completely different than the previous customers. And I think that's the constant constant challenge we have, is how do we change the company to a point where we can sell more, can sell faster, we can sell to bigger customers, and that includes changing the product, changing scaling the engineering team, scaling the infrastructure. So the, the challenge is always the same. Um, I mean, there's always challenges, it just changes depending on on your size, if, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. And then in terms of scaling and scaling the product up to match the the market fit that you're experiencing with, you know, going from one to two to 500-man companies, how many employees do you have at TalkDesk now?
1: We have 170.
0: So how, how do you kind of view the transition then between going from a 100-person SaaS company to a a 1,000-person SaaS company. You know, a lot changes in that period. Culture changes, everything changes. How do you view that transition?
1: The key now to actually go from this point to the next point is to hire leaders of leaders. So right now, we have the basic structure where we have leaders for every single area and now as we go from this size to a 1000 person company we have to get to the next level where we hire leaders of leaders meaning two three four people that can actually lead all the directors and vps that we have and and that's the challenge is hiring the right people to to actually lead uh, the different areas in the company and, and and scale them because if you have those people in place then everything gets much easier
0: so does that mean kind of segmenting parts of the company into their own startups and having a, a startup founder as such to lead each segment is that the idea uh, not so much as uh, not so much that but
1: more like for example now we are our sales team will go from 40 to 125 people this year. Mm -hmm. And what you need to actually manage 40 people is completely different than managing 125 people. So the next person that needs to come in to actually manage this bigger group of of a field team, a mid-market team, an SMB team, an SDR team, needs to be someone that has been doing this for quite some time and actually knows the playbook, like like Jason likes to say. So it's really key on making sure you hire the the person that has done this before at this point.
0: I'd love to hear how the strategy changes. We mentioned selling to different variations of customers. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear how the strategy changes from selling, say, to SMBs compared to massive corporations. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. So, so for example, when you are selling SMB and even mid markets, you can do pretty much everything over the phone. You have someone on the phone using GoToMeeting, email, and you have one person that actually makes makes the decision. And that's the big difference. When you are going to bigger corporations, you usually have three, four, five people that are in- involved in the decision. And for that, we actually need to create a relationship with all of them. And that's why we separated the teams in inside sales and fields. The field team is traveling all over the US and they go to customers, they meet, they meet prospects, they meet the different, uh, the, the different groups in the company that will make the decision to use stockdesk and that can take three four five six months to close uh, on the inside sales side it takes thirty forty days to close and everything is is done v- uh, via the phone you can st- you can still close big deals using the phone but uh, once you go more into the enterprise world it's it's very very difficult to to close a deal over the phone.
0: Do you find the regulation and the red tape frustrating when enter- when entering the the mass <laughs> enterprise scale? No, no. You you just
1: need to deal with it. I think it's it's very even though sales everyone says sales is changing, sales is still pretty much the same than it was before. So you just deal with it. You you have you have to prepare yourself to actually deal with that stuff and have the lawyers involved and have other other parts of the company involved. But once we actually have a process that. Uh, Helps you doing that. It's it's just natural. You and just know you have to go through that step.
0: And how do you approach the communication and reporting uh, to these massive companies when when their internal structure changes so much? So you know, a VP of engineering one month isn't there or changes entirely in three months' time. How do you account for that reporting structure with potential sales and leads?
1: We have teams that work on these bigger deals. So it's not only one person. Mm -hmm. And what you need to do is actually map, map the the organization and make sure you are in contact with every single point that you need to close the deal. And in case that person leaves, uh, hopefully you created a good enough relationship that they will be, they will still help you find another champion in in the company. Mm -hmm. So it's all, it's all about relationships. Honestly, in these, in these bigger deals, it's all about relationships and having a strong product and making, having the strong, the right process and then you know you, you can just make it happen after a while
0: and we're gonna have a little breathing time here and i say breathing time this is this is uh, a, a round called the churn so quick questions with quick answers so probably less breathing time actually <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. but uh okay so the biggest challenge you face today are the right people what SAS blog podcast newsletter is a must read for you definitely saster definitely saster okay good good answer well done uh, <laughs> what role is the hardest role to fill within the company and, and what do you look for in that role
1: a vp of sales is 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 difficult and mostly because the company changes so much so fast so hiring the right vp of sales at the right time is is very complicated
0: what's the proudest moment for you in the talk desk journey that's a that's a good question. There, I'm sure there's many. I mean, it's... there's. Yeah, I think I think a good
1: uh, a moment that I was very proud of was when we opened the office in San Francisco, and the office was completely empty, and we were two three people walking around And now you look at the office, and there's people everywhere. I think that's that makes me very proud.
0: Absolutely. And then looking back at the journey, is there anything that you know now that you would like to tell yourself, the founder, at the beginning? <laughs> well, I'll tell, I'll
1: tell, I'll tell myself to be much more. In the beginning, it's very, very difficult to hire the right people, and you need to spend a lot of time actually vetting the the, peop- the, the people you hire, talking with them, understanding that you can actually work with them and that they are a cultural fit. So I don't. I think in the beginning I didn't spend enough time doing that. And, um, and then I learned, and now we do. But I should have done that from the beginning.
0: And then final question of the churn round. Uh, what it, what's the defining thing then, would you say, if you could bake it down to one thing that's led to the incredible success that TalkDesk is? Is it the product? Is it your, your mar- go-to-market strategy? What is it for you?
1: I think it's a combination. It's not only one thing. It's a combination of a good product and being able to actually adapt very fast.
0: OK, absolutely. And we're going to go back into a little a little less um, quick fire questions now. So <laughs> you can have a breathe. Um, and I'd love to talk about we, we mentioned earlier about TalkDesk originally founded in Portugal. But, uh, you know, you mentioned there the office in SF uh, and being based in San Francisco. So how important was that for you to be based in San Francisco? And what were the benefits for TalkDesk of being in such a tech hub?
1: It was a game changer. I think that was the best decision we made was when I stayed in San Francisco to actually uh, build TalkDesk. And that allowed me to... In the beginning, we were very small and we were able to close big customers because I was able to create a relationship with them. And the only way to actually accomplish that was to go to their offices. And I remember, I remember telling Jason and telling last year at Sasser that in the first 50, 60 customers, I think I flew everywhere in America to actually meet them, no matter how <laughs> big they were. And if I was in Portugal, I wouldn't be able to do this. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And what would you advise founders then who aren't in a tech hub and are debating? whether or not to move i mean is it always a must does it depend on the industry
1: i think it will depend depend on the industry but i think it's it's such a great place to live you, you you meet people that are like you you meet people that are much better than you and i think that gives you motivation to to get better
0: absolutely and would you say san francisco is the central hub for SaaS startups Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to discuss now the the mega raise that TalkDesk recently did. Uh, A massive congratulations to you on that and testament to the amazing journey that you've gone on with TalkDesk. But I'd love to hear why you decided to raise the money when you still had cash in the bank.
1: That's a good question. And the reason is you you always want to go faster. And to go faster, you're going to break things. And while you break things, you are spending money. So having more money gives us, um, let's say, a security that if we mess up, actually things can't don't go, um, don't end, let's put it that way. Yeah, so an Add, added you have, runway. E- exactly. So if you have, what, what it allows us to do is actually to go faster pretty much and make sure that if we mess up, things things don't end. That That's pretty much it.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's, that's a very good reason. Um, and what are you planning to double down on then with the funds? Where are you looking to spend them? Where are you looking to ramp up? What, what are the plans for the next couple of years with, with TalkDesk and the funds?
1: Absolutely. So, so in terms of um, where we are investing more this year is sales and engineering. So we are making a huge bet on product. We are growing the engineering team 3-4x this year. And the sales team, we are uh, almost tripling the sales team. So those are the two areas where we are investing the most.
0: And in terms of the fundraising process, how did you determine which investors you wanted? You know, you, you have your pick now uh very nicely with, with TalkDesk's incredible traction. So how did you decide which investors to go with?
1: The way we did it is you speak with uh, four, five, six that you think will be a good fit. Uh, you talk with them and... It's something that you need to be very careful. You need to make sure you get the right investor because they're going to be on your board meetings. They're going to talk with you every single week or every single month. So you, I think the number one thing is making sure that you get along with them and you can work with them. And then second, of course, they need to, to make you an offer that's the valuation or close to the valuation that you are looking for or that others offer and it's enough money for you to to actually go to the next step
0: and then final question we've got to do it as the first episode of the sasta podcast how (laughs) awesome is jason as an angel and as an investor in now
1: jason (laughs) jason has been has been I, i think i think jason has been a great investor and a great friend and um Honestly, we wouldn't be here without him. He was very, very helpful in the beginning. He gave us the first money, but more, more, more than that, he gave us he, he gave us the chance to actually invest in Talkdesk and start growing Talkdesk to the point where it is now. So, I recommend Jason to everyone. You are you will be very lucky if Jason invests in your startup.
0: Well done, well said. Well, he'll give you twenty pounds later. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Tiago. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing the incredible success of Talkdesk, and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for having me. Please hang up and try again. And I'd like to give a huge hand to Tiago for giving up his time today to be on the show and sharing his immense journey with desk And tune in for episode two of the official Sasta podcast where Andy Lark, CMO at Xero, the online accounting software for SMB's company, will be joining us to reveal the marketing machine that has led to Xero achieving a staggering 200 million in ARR. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. It's been an absolute pleasure bringing it to you. And for more amazing content, head on over to sasta.com for the home of all things SaaS.